Thank you, God. So let's just pray a moment. Let's talk to him. God, we thank you that we have relationship in you, we have power in you, that we have promise for you. And I thank you so much for the promise there. May we lean into that in our lives. May it brighten our day, uplift our night. Just thank you so much for your presence with us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you can go and have a seat. That'd be wonderful. And thanks, Brian and the team for leading. And Brian's awesome in the drums and leading. And you know, we had a drummer that had a conflict, a scheduling conflict. So he went from electric guitar to drums and still led. I'm just like, wow, that's giftedness, right? To be able to do that. So I'm just so glad that you're here today and uh, that you're with us. And what is that noise? Can somebody help me? Thank you. Thank you, but so the drums are still going <laughs> electronically, I guess, in some way. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for helping me out there. And that is wild. <laughs> okay, so thanks so much for being here today, right? And we're in the second week in our series called Flourish. And uh, I know that many of you, you woke up and you, you saw two things this morning. One, you saw this huge, maybe you missed this, full moon. Uh, and then you saw the sun, right? And I think this is the first Sunday of the year with sun in the sky. It feels like to me. And so I just know that many of you, you enjoy that. And we're so glad to be moving into maybe a different season in some way. But we're grateful for the rain, right? Yeah, always grateful for the rain. And uh, I just want to begin this morning. And by the way, way to go for getting your clocks right. I know some of you have been sitting around waiting for about you know, 45 minutes because you came you know, at the end of the last service because you forgot your clock. But thanks for doing that as well. Uh, and so last week we began our series, and I began it with some questions, and I just thought, you know, I'm going to come back, I want to rethink yeah, about this idea of flourishing by asking those same questions again, just to kind of whet our appetite for what we're talking about. What if we could live in a way that kept us from making some of the mistakes that have led to such brokenness and pain in our lives? What if we could live in a way that kept us away from some of the actions that damaged our souls? What if we could live in a way that we would describe as flourishing, true flourishing? Instead of living for the elusive promise of happiness and self-fulfillment, what if we really did live the life that God intended us to live? What if we did that? The life that God intended us to live, the life that Jesus said he came to give when he says, I've come to give you life in all its fullness. What if we lived that life? What if we really could flourish? What if we could live in the reality of a flourishing life? See, folks, to flourish is a vision. It's a vision, but it's also a promise God makes to us. It's the destination. As we're going to see in this series, we are truly, every one of us, made to flourish, every one of us. And last week, I set up what it means to flourish. So I'm going to encourage you, if you would, to grab your message notes out of your program. You're going to be able to follow along. And uh, right at the first of the talk today, we're going to cover some of the things we did last Sunday. So just a heads up about that. If you have your Bible, open it to Genesis chapter 1. That's where we're going to be today is Genesis chapter 1. So if you don't own a Bible, our church wants you to have a Bible. Own one yourself. So there's a bookshelf right outside those doors. You can pick up a Bible today. It's our free gift. We'd love to see you have one. As well. So, right at the top of the notes, I am coming back to the definition we used last week of what does it mean to flourish. And in the Bible, flourishing can best be described by the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom. 
which means, and we bowled it down this week, last week, we bowled it down to this, nothing broken, nothing missing, everything as it ought to be. What a beautiful picture. Nothing broken, nothing missing, everything as it ought to be. This quote from Jonathan Pennington draws on the hope that we have for flourishing, uh, even in this life. And he's talking about you know, Christian flourishing here, as opposed to human flourishing, which is very, very popular in our culture today. Uh, he says this about Christian flourishing. Christianity provides, and by the way, I'd say biblical flourishing. Christianity provides not merely a set of values or a vision that we should pursue and which thereby promises flourishing. It provides the heart cure and renewal in our souls that enable us to pursue and experience flourishing. So not just the vision, but it gives us the cure that allows us to pursue flourishing. The biblical view of flourishing stands apart from all other views of flourishing and that it provides not only the vision, but it provides the means of accessing that vision. In this series, what we're doing is we're looking at God's original intent uh, for mankind, and we're using that as a picture to draw us, a vision to draw us toward God's ideal for us. And we're going to begin uh, going through the first three chapters of Genesis. And so this week, we're still going to be in chapter one as we look at this. And last week, I took an expositional approach to the first 10 words of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So I just want to just, if you weren't here, maybe if you were, this is a reminder because I think it's going to help us today as well. Here's the things we said about God uh, in last week to kind of help us to understand this idea about God as the creator. First, God is the eternal originator. He's the eternal originator. So in the beginning means that God existed before there was a beginning. So God is the uncaused cause. God is the uncreated creator. God has always been. Second, we said that God is the powerful creator. That comes from the word God, which is Elohim in Hebrew, which means that God has all power. And it also, Elohim is in the plural there. So it's the, it's the first glimpse we get, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, in the, of the Trinity in the Bible, that God is three in one. God is the center of of everything. We have to remember that. And we're talking about that in this series a lot. God is the center of everything. And if we keep God at the center, then we're going to flourish. Anytime we put ourselves at the center, mankind, culture at the center, we're not going to be able to enter into the flourishing the Bible talks about. Three, God is the limitless source. He's the limitless source. In the beginning, God created. That word created means that it was from nothing. He created into existence what was not in existence before. He created it, so that, that would just say the world's not by chance. It's not here by chance. It's not a result of an accident. It's not a result of random forces. But God, on his own, created everything we see from nothing. And then lastly, we said God is the master designer. He designed the creation so that every piece has a purpose. Every piece has a purpose. It's created, the creation was created to be a place of absolute harmony a place where every particle or plant or animal or being would flourish, would flourish in that way. And that's what we're going to pick up today. And we're going to talk about design and God being the master designer. And so we're saying because he's the master designer, we can trust him when it comes to all questions of intent, design, and purpose. And let's just begin with verse 2 in Genesis 1. Moving on, it says this, The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God, once you circle that, Spirit of God, 
was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, go ahead and underline that word said. I'm going to come back and tell you why I had you do that in a moment. Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. And evening and morning passed. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the first day. Now, I'm not going to go in and read the rest of the days of creation. You can do that on your own. In fact, here's what I would suggest. Maybe today that you go out somewhere where it's so beautiful, take your device with you, go to version on your device. That's the Bible app I love to use. And you just let it read it to you. Just let it read the rest of Genesis to you so you can embrace Genesis and what it is saying to you and how you're going to be able to understand the creation and the beauty of it. So first it says God created, okay? God created. The Spirit of God hovered over the world. And so the Spirit of God there is a reference to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's active. And so now we have God, and we have God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is hovering and part of the creative process, and it makes a clear distinction here of one being separate. Then it says God created and said. Now, as we know the Bible, the the spoken word references, if you go to John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And so it's talking about Jesus Christ. And so right in the beginning of Genesis, we get the first taste of the biblical doctrine of the Trinity, that God is one, but God is three, and it has three different functions. And so we see these, each being part of the Trinity and each being part of creation here. And then God spoke, and God said, let there be, let there be. So coming into existence, what didn't exist before. There was nothing, absolutely nothing. And now there was something, but not just something, there was everything. There was everything then that was created from nothing, spoken in existence by God. How about you? But I wish that I had that power to speak and make things happen. Those of you who are parents of teenagers, you wish you had that power to speak and things would happen the way that you actually say them, speak them into existence. When Paul McCartney sang, let it be, let it be, those were just words of wishful thinking, folks, and longing. He could not create the world that he talked about in those words. When John Lennon sang, imagine, those were just words of longing, wishful thinking, but he could not create the world through his words of imagining of a different place. When Jean-Luc Picard sat at the captain's chair on the bridge of the Starship Enterprise, and he said, make it so, those famous words, make it so, he could not create anything from nothing. He was just able to make what was created bring it into action. So he brought it into action, but he couldn't create something from nothing. He was putting what was already created into into it, fulfilling its purpose. Only God said, let there be, and he created what was not there, and he did it in an amazing way. So what I want to do is I want to talk today about flourishing, and we're going to look at uh, coming out the idea of what, how do I flourish? And really it's where I wanted to end up last week, but I ran out of time last week, and so it I'm just going to pick up right here today. So the first idea is this. If I'm going to flourish, I need to worship the maker of creation. I need to worship the maker, submit, surrender to the maker of creation. Not the creation. Not the creation. So with Google, you don't need um, a passport or an airline ticket to be able to see the beautiful sights of God's creation. So I just want to put some, I put some up last week, some sites of creation. I'm going to ask you to kind of guess where this is. Where is this? 
Fresno? What are you doing? <laughs> Emerald Bay, Emerald Bay, come on, Lake Tahoe, next picture. Serious answers. Where's this? Yuba River, of course. We live right here. We love the Yuba River. Where's this? Monterey, Lone Cypress, right there in Monterey. <laughs> Where's this? You probably don't know. This is my happy place. Uh, back when I was able to backpack a lot, I, I had a goal of you know packing a certain section of the Pacific Crest Trail from 80 all the way to uh, uh, whatever it is down the road. Yeah, and so. <laughs> Yosemite, Yosemite, and, uh, and so these are just pictures. I want to show this one and the next one of the Pacific Crest Trail, the beauty that you get to see when you're out there, uh, my happy place in creation. Then one more, already given away where this is, Yosemite. Oh, my, that's just so gorgeous. Look at what God created. Just imagine that. Just imagine that. But see, what happens is if we're not careful, we'll go to places like this. We'll see sites like we see right here. And if we're not careful... We'll end up worshiping the creation instead of the creator. We'll be moved by creation, and we'll just stop there. And we won't move further to be able to thank the creator, the one who actually made that. And so if we understand Genesis 1, what I believe, if you really dig into that, it should propel us forward in our ability to worship. Propel us forward in our ability to worship. Worship happens when I'm in awe of who God is and what he's done. And Genesis 1 gives us the foundation for worship. It tells us that God was the one who created and that we are the ones who were created as well. And so then God becomes the subject of our worship. See, what happens is many times is we get confused about this. And who becomes the subject of our worship? We do. What what we want, what we need, what's going on. We put ourselves at the center instead of being willing at a certain point to submitting ourselves to God, to bending a knee before him and say, I am going to worship you. God is the creator, we are the creation. God is the potter, we are the clay. And when you can come to grips with that, it can't help but shape the way you see yourself in the universe, your place in the universe. It can't help but change the way you look at that. And understand, understanding your place in the universe and how small you actually are can increase your ability to worship him. Now, I love how if you really want to you know, get some help on worshiping the creator, one of the best places you can go is the book of Psalms in the Bible. So let's just look at Psalm 19. And this is what it says. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word, Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. I just love this. I love the psalmist in the picture here. And so I know that most of you missed this, but the moon was just amazing this morning. And so I know that we we curse this time change thing, but because of the time change, I got to see uh, the moon an hour earlier than I would have. And so as what happens is, as, as we're coming to church here, and you're going down, you know, as we cross, you know, coming down Rough and Ready Highway, and you come to the intersection of Ridge Road and Adam right there, and you come around the straightaway, and you're going straight down Rough and Ready Highway, the church is on the right here, and the moon is right in the middle of the highway. It's just gorgeous, and it was just so beautiful this morning to see that and to experience that. I know when we moved uh, to the church here um, and moved in in 2005, had no idea that this was called Sunset Ridge until the first winter we experienced. 
And in the wintertime here, because this is Sunset Ridge, we get the most glorious sunsets. Our st- I can't keep our staff at their desks, okay? Every, time, every night about 4.30, 4.50, 30, they're all out taking pictures of the glorious sunsets we get. God's creation speaks the wonder of God and who he is. Look at what Psalm says in Psalm 95. We're going to skip Revelation and come back to us. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing songs of praise to him. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. He holds the hands in the depths of the earth, in his hands, the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to him, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land too. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our circle this maker. We have to submit to the fact that there's a maker. And we were made by him, for he is our God. And worship comes out of our understanding of who God is more than it comes out of our understanding of what God does. Our worship really comes out of who God is more than what God does. I worship because of who God is, even though my circumstances may not change, even though I may have heard that God will take care of this situation, but he hasn't taken care of my situation, I can still worship God even though I'm in this circumstance because I'm worshiping who he is and not what he's done. It's really key that we start with who he is. Why we worship makes all the difference. So we're going to watch a clip now. It's from a guy named Michael Jr., comedian. And in it, he's going to talk about getting to the why why we do things. Now, it's going to take a little bit. You have to just follow along, but when it gets to it, you're just really going to see what he means. So let's just watch this. How do I know? A lot of people, when they think of the phrase, how do I know, they always want to put the what behind it. How do I know what I'm supposed to do? The, The question that you really should ask is, how do I know why I'm here? Because when you know your why, your what becomes more clear and more impactful. If you know, like for instance, um, people know that I do comedy, but that's what I do. My why is to inspire people to walk in purpose. So I can do comedy, I can write books, I can be in a movie, because all of it is motivated by my why. In fact, I have a new, uh, a new web series out called Michael Jr. Break Time. Uh, we probably just did the sixth episode. It's on YouTube. So every single Wednesday at 3 o'clock, we drop a new episode on YouTube of Michael Jr. Break Time. What it is, is it's me. I travel around the country and I do stand-up comedy, in case you didn't know. <laughs> and in the middle of my comedy set sometime, I'll stop and just talk to my audience. And we've been filming this, and it's, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. So <laughs> we're in Winston-Salem. I'm going to show you a clip from Winston-Salem. And I'm just talking to this guy in the audience, and he tells me that he's a, uh, a musical instructor at a school. So I was like, all right, you're a musical instructor. You know, can you sing? Let me hear you sing a song. So this is what happened at the last episode of Michael Jr.'s Break Time. Check it. So you're a musical director. Cool. Yes, sir. All right, so um, let, me get a couple, let me get a couple bars of, like, uh, Amazing Grace. Can you do the first part of that? Let me, go ahead. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wow. That bro could sing. You know what I'm saying? All right, all right. Um, now, once you give me the version, is if uh, your uncle just got out of jail, you got shot in the back when you was a kid, 
I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If you know which version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. even there we're watching a video and we're just so moved by that oh my this is crazy and it's not what it's who it's why god is the one we worship now the second version of amazing grace was radically different from the first right so different i was thinking brian i wonder if he could play the drums too you know (laughs) as he did that but it was just so different it comes from the heart comes from the heart whereas the first version came from the head Big difference. First version, you know, asked to sing head, then asked to sing from heart about who God was and what God had done in his life. The second version could only be sung by someone who knew God from experience, who knew God deeply, who had decided to worship God no matter the circumstances because of who he is. And that's what happens. When we worship, we give glory to God. We point people to him. And that's what Revelations 4 says. John read this to us earlier. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they, were, they existed and were created because God spoke it and made it happen. So worship defines reality. Worship defines priority. Worship defines allegiance. Worship defines submission. Worship was when I bow down to the creator not just to tell him how wonderful the creation is. It's beautiful. And I want to say, God, it's wonderful the what you made. But God, you are the one who is wonderful. You are the one who is great. And so I worship the maker of creation. Second is this. And so coming down to understanding how we flourish. The second one is this. I must discern the order of creation. I must discern the order of creation. See, if God created the world as a place where we as human beings would flourish, then what we need to know and understand is that he is woven into the very fabric of creation roles and rules, roles and rules by which his creation would function, and when it functions there, it functions best, and that's where flourishing is. In fact, look at this from Proverbs 16. It says, the Lord has made everything for his own purposes. So he's established everything with a role and then a rule by which that creation would function. And when everything functions within the roles and the rules, then that's when people will flourish. So he's established the contents of creation, given a created order. And when we live within the created order, then that's where we flourish. And that's what I want to say to us today, folks. 
live within God's created order. The pull to flourishing is what we all want. It's so easy when we see what God is asking us to do. But the number one rule is that we must function within the roles and the rules that God made. Look at what Isaiah 40, that we give him glory. Look at what Isaiah 43 says. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my, how have we been made? For his glory, it was I who created them. And we bring God glory when we adhere to the order of creation, when we adhere to that. We place ourselves in the stream of flourishing when we honor the way that he designed things to work. And to the degree that we align our lives with his created order and his nature and his image, image and his character, to that degree we will flourish. We fully thrive as the ones we were made to be. Now, I'm going to go all the way to the end of creation now, and we're going to talk about the peak, the pinnacle of creation. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. You might just underline that. In his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And so what we see here is that human beings are made in the image of God. So we've got creation. Everything that God created at the pinnacle, at the top of creation, is mankind. Because we are God's amazing statement. Humankind. We're the final act. We're the best part. Why? Because we are the only beings created in his image. The only thing that was created in the image of God. So you don't need a passport or you don't need an airline ticket to be able to see the image of God. All you have to do is look to the right or the left right now. If you look to the right or the left right now, you'll see someone who was made in the image of God. You will see it right here. All you need is a mirror. You will look in the mirror and you will see the image of God. Now, you're not gonna, we're not saying that God is physical uh, when we talk about that at all, uh, because obviously we don't all look alike, right? So it's not talking about a physical thing, but it means that we're all made in the spiritual image of God. Every person has a spiritual image of God inside of them, the soul of God. To be made in the image of God basically means <laughs> that we are going to reflect and represent God to our world. So as we live life, flourishing life, we're going to reflect and represent him accurately to our world. So I've done a lot of reading about this, and it's very complicated uh, stuff that, you know, to weed through all the deep weeds as we, I went through this. But coming up, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? If it's not physical and it's spiritual, what does it mean? And I've narrowed it down to a list of several things I'm going to give you. And if you want to write even on the front of your program shell, there's a lot of white space there. Um, and you could write these down if you wanted. There's no space on your notes. I know that already. Um, and so, but I'm just going to give you a list of ways that we're like God, okay? We are moral because God is moral. We are moral because God is moral. We are creative as human beings because God is created. He's creative. He's given us the ability to create, not from nothing, but from something, but the ability to create. We are relational because God is relational. All the way back in the beginning, 
and study the Trinity, three in one. Out of that community, God established human beings to be in relationship with him. I love this one. We are intelligent because God is intelligent. <laughs> Just like think about that. And this one you might have to struggle with. We are aesthetic because God is the creator of beauty. So we love beauty because God is the creator of beauty. We are spiritual because God is spirit. We are able to reason because God is logical. Not fickle in any way. God is logical. So he gives us the ability to reason. And then lastly, we are emotional because God has emotions. So that's just a laundry list of ways that we are made in the image of God. And so God then takes this man and woman and he plants them in the Garden of Eden and he sets them up as the ruler of all creation. We're going to talk about this next week as we talk about vocation. We talk about purpose and work. The ruler of all creation. Human life is the highest order. Can't forget this. The highest order. Human beings have been given stewardship over the earth. And I just say, as I was thinking about this, I don't think our track record's that good. Stewardship over all the earth. When the fall came, and we're going to talk about this in several weeks, and mankind began the process of erasing God from the center or removing God from the center and placing mankind in the center and judging everything about what mankind felt or thought or could reason, that was the beginning of us losing the flourishing life that God has called us and promised that we can have. It's moved away from God's ideal. And the only way we can flourish in our world, folks, is if we put God back in the center. That's why it says, in the beginning, God. God is the center, and we've surrendered and submitted ourselves to him and what, and what he says. Okay, last idea is this, and we'll close. Protect the dignity of cre- creation. I'm going to flourish when I protect the dignity of creation. So at the ones at the top of the created order, we're called upon to protect the dignity or the worth of everything else. Everything else. But I'm just going to say this, but primarily human beings but primarily human beings. Others who are at the top of the created order were called to protect the dignity of. God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. And so he's given us the responsibility of managing and steward that which he looked at and said was very, very good. So see, we we protect the dignity of others. Excuse me, we we protect the dignity of creation when we help others see their God-given value. So, you know, if you could give your kids one, or grandkids, if you could just give them one message that would carry them for the rest of their lives, it would be this. That God made them beautiful. That God made them special. And that he loves them so much. And if you could give your kids and grandkids that message and they would own it and be able to embrace it, and you say to them, don't ever forget that because the world is pulling us away from the belief that we are beautiful and we are special and God loves us like we are, loves us like we are. See, what's stunning about Genesis 1 is when we're talking about the creation of humanity, it says very clearly in no uncertain terms that with no exception that human beings are made glorious by God. Human beings are glorious. Every human being is created in the image of God. 
God does not make mistakes. God does not make mistakes. There are no accidental children. God has a purpose in everything he creates. And we all need to know that we were made to be glorious. We were all made in the image of God. So now, with that in mind, about our own place in this creation that he made, how would we protect the dignity of creation? So I'm going to give you some ideas, some biblical ideas today of how we would protect creation. We protect the dignity of creation when we stand up and we fight against discrimination because of race, gender, nationality, economic status, beauty, talent, intelligence, wealth, or usefulness. When we personally stand up against discrimination, we fight for the dignity of creation. Author Anne Lamott says, was very insightful when she said this. She said this, you know you're creating God in your own image when God hates all the same people you do. (laughs) We protect the dignity of God's creation when we accept those who might be messy. Except other people who might be messy or difficult. The great theologian Francis Schaeffer said this. He says, biblically, folks, every messy person in front of you is a beautiful mess. <laughs> biblically, every broken person in front of you is a glorious broken person. Every one of them. So I just want to stop a minute, okay? Can we just all admit that we're all broken? Would you be willing to do that with me? Just admit we're all broken. Would you, okay, are, if you're broken, raise your hand. Okay? I, I think, except for the rebels, everybody has their hand up. And that's just a sign of your brokenness, okay? Every person in this room is broken. Every person in this room is a sinner. Every person in this room has made decisions that have hurt themselves and others. Every person is broken. And therefore, folks, I'll just say this. A healthy church is full of broken people. It's full of broken people. It's full who admit they're broken and admit they're in need of God's mercy and grace and healing power. And when you have a lot of broken people together, folks, it's really messy. It really is. But that's the healthiest place. And we embrace everyone. It's a broken a place for broken people. Ed Stetzer says it this way. He says, a church without broken people is a broken church. <laughs> just has to have broken people. And so I'll just say this. Followers of Jesus Christ should never, never, ever see themselves as superior to any other person. Because we're all sinners before God. Every one of us. We protect the dignity of creation and we live within God's guidelines for the way he created us, the guidelines for the way he made us. Whenever we honor God's ideal for gender and sexuality, we fight for the dignity of creation. Next, we protect the dignity of creation when we respect and stand up for the rights of the unborn and the elderly. Those have been determined to have no rights, or if they do have rights, they're only secondary rights. And are only valued if they have the ability to contribute. 
we will stand up. We protect the rights, the dignity of creation when we live within God's guidelines for marriage and family. When we help marriages and families succeed, succeed. We protect the dignity of creation when we live with honesty, integrity, compassion, and humility. That's why, I'm, folks, I'm just going back to our series on the fruit of the Spirit. And I will wear this band probably till it falls apart uh, because of the reminder to me that just as I needed kindness of God, everybody else needs the kindness of God. Just as I need the acceptance of God, everybody else needs the acceptance of God. And that my role is to live with honesty about who I am and my brokenness, live with integrity about who I'm pursuing and what it's about, to live with compassion over those who are hurting, for those who have made decisions, those who don't understand yet, live with integrity that I'm going to do the right thing. We protect the dignity of creation when we do our part to be good stewards of the environment and creation, to be good stewards. When we stand up against the exploitation or misuse or outright abuse of the environment and natural resources. Folks, think about this. We want generations, generations of kids that follow us to be able to experience the same creation we get to experience. We have to be good stewards of what God has given us. We protect the dignity of creation when we express compassion and engage in helping alleviate the suffering in the lives of others. As I was writing this yesterday, um, it just had a banner flop across my screen, and it said this, it said something like this, it said, the greatest humanitarian crisis since 1945. So I'm a clickbait fiend, you know? <laughs> Give me clickbait, I'll hit it every time. So I clicked on that, and I was, I uh, just moved to the images I saw. Um, and this is what it says. The greatest humanitarian tragedy or crisis since 1945 is happening right now. And if something isn't done right now, in four countries in Africa, 20 million people will die of starvation. 20 million. Here we sit. And our luxury, uh, it's hard to know what to do sometimes when you just see the devastation in our world and the suffering and the injustice. Uh, one thing we can do is we have a food drive next week, and uh, we can take care of it right here. Take care of a homeless issue right here. Take care of those who are hurting right here. Take care of those who are struggling with drug addiction right here. We can do it. So we engage together. But just boiling all down, what we need to realize is that in this room, we have people who are passionate about one or all of the areas or many of the areas that I've mentioned. But folks, passion is not going to be enough. We must develop a comprehensive ethic of life that includes a love for the poor, a love for the marginalized, a love for the disenfranchised, a love for the ugly, a love for the beautiful, a love for the unborn, a love for the born, a love for the elderly, a love for helping people find acceptance and discover God's kindness and God's love, that he loved them and he made them 
beautiful and they're special and he wants them to know his love. Psalm 24 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. Let's pray together. Well, God, that's a challenge. And so I just want to submit myself to you that this is your world and I'm just open today that whatever, whatever you would call me to do, whatever you'd lead me to go, whatever you would call me to sacrifice, to give, that I'd be willing to do what you ask to protect the dignity of your creation. Not that I worship creation, but I worship the God, the maker of all creation. I pray that you would guide me, God. I pray that you would guide every person here. You would show us the path you want us to go on, the ways you want us to love, the ways you want us to express your love to others. And Jesus, I pray today that you would help us as we center ourselves in worship of you, that each one of us, I'm just going to ask every one of us in this room that the question today, is God at the center of your life? God, order of creation, protect the dignity of creation. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.